Good morning, and uh, welcome to Sunday School here at God's Word Baptist Church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians, we're still studying that book, going through it uh, in chapter 2. One of the key things that we've been focusing on is in this passage, God outlines uh, four warnings for the church. Um, things that we as believers uh, still need to be very, 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 very careful of. Uh, there are um, a lot of dangers in this life um, that are just, you know, commonplace. And I'm not talking about the physical things. I'm talking about things that will spiritually take us away from the purposes and the will of God. Uh, once we get into... Um, growth, there will start to be an increase in these, if you will, attacks or in these um, instances that uh, people will try to dissuade us with other doctrines. And we have to be very careful. This is why it is imperative that the uh, the, the, the basically the, the the man of God and the woman of God are actively seeking to know what God's will is. That it's not just uh, something that uh, is, um, if you will, just kind of assumed, but it is something that they have a sure knowledge of. It's something that they very clearly have scripturally founded, and if you will, uh, seen in his word, that they can have a something to grab a hold to and say, no, this is the doctrine. I'm going to hold to this doctrine. I'm going to hold to these things. Because other people will teach other quote-unquote doctrines. They will teach falsehoods as doctrines. And we as believers have to be very careful because we do not want to be uh, essentially made uh, castaways, to kind of use Paul's words, because of doctrine. I've seen this happen many a times. Uh, I've seen where an individual um, is uh, serving the Lord, they're pleasing the Lord, they're going about uh, trying to, to do his will. Somebody comes along um, and teaches a specific doctrine. That doctrine then begins to, um, if you will, grow in that individual's life and tear them away actually draw them away from God and towards a man, towards believing that specific person as if that man is only the oracle of God, the only oracle of God. And that's a dangerous thing. You have to be very, very, very discerning in this Christian life. And praise the Lord that the Lord has given us the ability to discern and how to discern and how to judge from his word. If we did not have the word of God, we would be completely lost. Not only would we be lost uh, in our sins, if you will, but we would be lost not knowing what to do, not knowing what to believe. And when we take the word of God and say, this is the truth, and we study it to show ourselves approved unto God, not unto man, but unto God, he will show us these things. He reveals them to us as we study this. It becomes very, very important to do that. Well, last week we had talked about, uh, um, if you will, some of the operation of God and what has gone on, the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances, uh, if you will, how God begins to see our sins. Those are sins that are covered, and praise the Lord for that. Uh, it, it, it's a great thing that that, uh, um, that that God has done, and it really should be uh, a kind of, if you will, a, a bit of a terrible thought, understanding that all of our words, all of our actions, all of our thoughts are being written down. Now, in this day and age, we've got recording devices. But God doesn't use the recording devices. He doesn't have a videotape. He's got books. 
and he writes everything down. And there are references to angels writing these things down. Could you imagine the amount of angels that would be required to write things down? Let's just say there's one scribe angel per person. You're talking about over 8 billion angels just to keep up with, like, one of them just to keep up with you and me? (laughs) Good grief. The ability to see those things, the ability to discern those things, writing it all down, wow, that, that, that alone is an amazing thing. But it's terrible to understand that those things that were, if you will, sinful had been written down, documented as evidence that condemned us. But the wonderful thing and the beautiful thing about it is that with Christ's sacrifice, there was a blotting out. And as he, as the scripture says, he remembers no more, meaning that he chooses not to bring it up. He chooses to say, I'm not going to allow that to cloud my mind, my judgment, and what I see in that saint of God. That's a, and, and yeah, just praise the Lord for that. That because of that blotting out, there is, if you will, that, that, that new term that we get to use called saint. How God views us. Now we, 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 we being our self-deprecating people, you know, we, we, we're always willing to tear ourselves down. Unless you're one of those people that's, you know, so proud filled that you have to build yourself up, you know, the narcissist. But, you know, here, here we are, we, we have a tendency to be a little self-deprecating saying, well, you know, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner. Well, no, we need to kind of change that mindset. We need to start calling us what God calls us. We're saints. Do we still have a sin issue, a sin problem? Absolutely. Praise God, there are things to take care of that and things that have already taken care of that. But here we are, we've seen this, we went through and we started talking about the blotting out, talked about the victory that Christ won with the spoiling of the principalities and powers, again, making him preeminent. Because again, just as a reminder, as we go through this book, Colossians is about the preeminence of Christ. Christ should be first in everything, every area of your life, not just the spiritual things. He's not number one on Sunday and then, you know, number six on Monday. Or number, number, maybe number two on Wednesday and then maybe number four on Wednesday, or excuse me, on Thursday, something of that. No, that's not how it works. He should always be the very first. The first one we go to with a problem. The first one we go to with praise, the first one that we thank every day, the first one that comes to our mind when we wake up. I mean, all of these things should be the preeminence. You're like, well, that's just, that's a lot. That's hard. Yeah, it is. Which is why you can't just expect it to be autopilot. You have to purpose in your heart to do it. Because what we find is, is we find that if we don't have Christ as the preeminence, then we are going to be influenced by other false doctrines. And this is what this chapter is about. And now we get into this next, uh, this third warning here. We saw the first two. Here's this third warning that he brings about in verse, uh, uh, in verse 16 here. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, now in this passage, there's a bit of a duality. We can look at it from two perspectives. The first perspective is, is we can look at it as we have liberty. So if we want to celebrate Christmas, go ahead. 
If somebody does not want to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. We've got liberty. We can look at it at that perspective. We also can look at it at the perspective where Paul was really getting to these, to these individuals in this congregation was letting somebody come in and begin to judge you because you don't do what they do. That's a problem. That was a problem that the Galatians had. And we'll take a look at their issues in just a minute. Because it wasn't just really restricted to the church at Galatia. This was an issue in the church at Ephesus. This was an issue in the church at Rome. This was an issue in the, in the church at Corinth. This was an issue, uh, church at Philippi. This is an issue here in this church. I mean, all of these things. And you know what? It's still an issue today. I love how the, the, the word of God is not just restricted to a specific time period way, 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 way back when, but is pertinent to our lives right now. And we see this. But in verse uh, verse 16 here, again, we've got let no man. Now, again, I'm going to emphasize this. Because we've seen this before where he talks about being where and he, he goes through this let no man. I mentioned it last week. Don't give people the authority in your life to do these things. This is really what that let no man is about. We allow people to do that. We allow people to do that. <laughs> there's a kind of if you will a trite little saying you may have heard it I may have mentioned it before but there's this saying that says um, uh, you can't complain about people sucking the joy out of your life if you give them the straw you get that you understand what I'm saying you understand what that thing says you can't, you, 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 you're, you're letting them do that. You're allowing that in your life. And, and, and as believers, we're not supposed to do that. By the way, this is a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a guideline. This isn't what well, you know, Jesus says, well, this is really what I would like to see in your life. No, this is don't. This is a thou shalt not, if you will. This is where God says, as a believer, as a saint, do not allow them that access in your life. Why? Because the only one that should have this kind of influence in your life should be the preeminent one of Christ. That's the issue. Going back to the preeminence again. If it's an issue of somebody is influencing you, then that person has the preeminence. And this is what we see here. We see that there's this combat that's going on. There's this, this this fight. Turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. <clears throat> and I want us to see a couple of things here. <clears throat> now, this was an issue then, and it, as I said, an issue now. And it was a large issue. So here we are, you know, taking a look at what's going on and and we, we, we find that uh, Paul begins to uh, have his ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, you know, some of the Jews and disciples are a little confused about that. Uh, because again, you've got Christ saying, don't go to the Gentiles. Um, but then later on saying, go into all the world. Um, so they were struggling with that concept. Uh, they were struggling with those things. And how do we know that? Because Acts chapter 10 Peter's kind of having a little bit of an anxiety breakdown because all of a sudden he's told to go to a, uh, you know, Cornelius, who's a Roman citizen, Roman soldier, 
and and if essentially preach the gospel to him. And he doesn't even finish preaching the gospel, and on a and, you know, and God opens his eyes and he sees the Holy Spirit falling on them, which normally didn't happen because they had to have the Holy Spirit brought on by the laying of hands. You go through the book of Acts and you will see some very different things. But you always have to take a look at who it's about. Is it about a Jew or is it about a Gentile? Is it about Peter or is it about Paul? You have to be very careful with that. Because again, Acts is a transitional book. Matthew is a transitional book. Hebrews is a transitional book. You got to be careful with those books. Otherwise, your doctrine will be messed up royal. But here we are taking a look at this and they see these Gentiles and, uh, they, they see what's going on. And if you will, in verse 20, it says, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, thou uh, seest brother, how many thousands of Jews there are, which believe and, uh, uh, and they are all zealous of the law. Meaning they still want to keep some of those things. And they are informed of thee, and thou, thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Now, they're starting to freak out a little bit, because all of a sudden, that doesn't mean anything anymore. And they're trying to figure it out. And it says, what is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, uh, for they will hear that thou art come. Uh, do therefore this uh, that we say to thee. We have four men which have taken a vow on them. Take them, excuse me, them take and purify uh, thyself with them and be at charge with them that they may shave their heads and all th- and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing but thou thou thyself uh thyself also walking walkest orderly and keepest the law now they're giving some instructions to Paul saying look we still want you to abide by these things of the law for the sake of the Jews that are believers cuz we don't want them to stumble and he says, as touching the Gentiles which believe, he, now you see how he shifts. He was talking about being a witness to the Jews. And now they're talking about the Gentiles which come about. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. Meaning, as far as the law goes, it doesn't matter. Now these two individuals that he was taking, these are individuals that have completed their Nazarite vow and are going about to shave their head and they're doing it in a specific way. As documented in law. The Jew, you know, the, the law of Moses. And he's saying, I want you to take these guys and you go and you confirm with them that they're doing these things and because those individuals that were, they were believers, but they still had a Nazarite vow. They still chose that. But here he says, look, when it comes to the Gentiles, no. No. They should, uh, that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. So, so Paul goes with this commission to do this, but he, there's things that they want to make sure that they're doing here. Because these disciples in Jerusalem are very concerned about how fragile the Jews are, the believing Jews are. Because one thing just sends, it just seems to send them into a tizzy and they're gone. And they're saying, look, when it comes to the things of the law, the Gentiles don't have to keep them. Peter even said, we're not going to have the Jews or the Gentiles try to keep the law because we couldn't even keep the law. And here very clearly he makes it, they make it known, look, there are a couple of things that we don't want them to do. We don't want you to, them to eat things offered to, to idols and, and things of that nature because the, the influence that it's going to have on those that are Jewish. 
as well as those that have come out of idolatry. Let's go over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14 now. Uh, it's kind of, if you will, setting up exactly what the Lord says about all of these things. And here we're specifically talking about food. Because that's one of the things that Paul said. He says, don't let anybody judge you. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat and in drink. And then he continues on with a few other things. So let's take a look at the subject of meat because that was a very big deal. And it was something that Paul mentions first because it was a huge issue. Now, in this day and age, it's not a very big issue. But for some, it may be. We don't run into very many of those people. I don't think anybody here has an issue unless you have an allergy with bacon or shrimp or catfish. You're like, well, I don't like those things. Fine, that's a preference. You're not trying to make it law. Some people were. Some people were. In Romans chapter 14, take a look at verse 15, jumping down. I'm not going to have time to read the whole, the whole passage here. But in verse 15, he says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Now, now this is important because here Paul points out, you're creating a stumbling block. Actually, in verse 13, he says that specifically, where he says, let no man therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. So here's what happens. Paul says, rather than going about judging what people are doing, how about you just exercise charity instead? How about you prefer them in love, sacrifice what it may be an issue for you or sacrifice something for you so that you don't create an issue with their walk? I mean, seriously, if you find a believer you and, 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 and you go over to their house and they... You're expecting to be served something and they say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't serve that kind of meat. I don't, I don't serve pork. And you go, oh, okay. It's about as far as the conversation should go, shouldn't it? Now, if they engage in a conversation where they start talking about, well, what do you think the Bible says about that? Ah, praise the Lord, you've just been given an open door. But be charitable. Speak the truth in love. Make sure you don't, you know, don't make sure you don't cause them to stumble. This is why you have to be very perceptive. And that only comes from the working of the Holy Spirit in your life to see if all of a sudden you start going a direction and they start to stumble. Stop. Don't keep going. Because Paul just said here, rather than going about judging, how about you, you know, you strive to do this. He says, how about you judge yourself that you're not putting a stumbling block in front of someone else? Rather than judging them about their meat, how about you judge yourself about whether or not that's going to cause that person to fall? And that what was happening is there were believers that were causing the, 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 the Christians in Colossae to stumble. And Paul comes along and says, don't let them do that to you. Because in verse 15, he says here, look, if somebody is going to be grieved with the fact that you're having a slab of bacon and ham on your hamburger for, for, for whatever reason, and they're going to be offended by it, don't do it. 
Don't flaunt your liberty in front of them. Don't beat them with your liberty. That's not charity. You going out to eat with a, a brother or sister in Christ, you sit down, you order the hamburger, and uh, the the waiter asks, you know, do you want bacon on that? Well, the first immediate answer is, yes, of course. And the person sitting across from you says, oh, you eat bacon? Yeah. Oh, I don't eat bacon. I, 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 I don't think that, 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 that we should do that as Christians. Don't order the bacon. Well, it's my burger. I'll eat what I want to eat. But if you're going to grieve that believer that's sitting across from you, and you're going to cause him to have an issue, you're the one that's wrong. You just sinned. Because these are commandments, by the way. These, again, aren't just simple guidelines. This is what God wants you to do. And he says very clearly there, he says, if you're going to grieve them, you're not walking charitably. And Colossians 13 makes it clear that charity is the most important. Because if you look at Colossians 13, just hop right over there just really quickly. We're going to be in the book of Colossians in a minute anyways. But Colossians 13, just so we understand the priority and the importance of it, in verse 13, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three. These are things that should be living inside of you. Faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. These should be in you. They should be dwelling in you. This should be your response with everything. But the greatest of these is what? Faith? No. Is the greatest hope? No. The greatest is charity. Now, if God places an importance like this on a specific action and attitude of heart, which is what charity is about, then that makes it very important for us to pay attention. To realize that this is what we're supposed to be doing. And if you look at verse, uh, the last verse of verse 12, or, or excuse me, chapter 12, uh, verse 31, he says, but covenant earnestly the best gifts. He, he goes through, he starts talking about gifts, he starts talking about tongues and prophecy and all this stuff. And he says, but covenant earnestly the best gifts. The best gifts. People are out there like, you know, coveting, uh, 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 the ability to speak in tongues. Now in this day and age, what people refer to as tongues is not biblical tongues. Don't have time to get into that, but the gibberish that they speak, and I'm not being, uh, uh, uh not trying to be disparaging to it, but it is the, the, the appropriate term. The term that would be used would be gibberish is not biblical. It's not scriptural. Tongues are languages. They always have been in scripture. Always. Without fail. Languages that people use. But he says here, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Don't be covering those other things. Here's here's the ones that you want to have, the best gifts. And he says, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, I'm going to tell you, you need to covet the best gifts, but I'm going to show you the best, the best of them. And then what's the next chapter? Charity. He says, this is the more excellent way. When you're living your life in charity, and charity is dwelling in you, and you're exhibiting charity with everything that you do, 
And charity is not just a subject that comes up a couple of times in the New Testament. It comes up frequently with Paul's writings. But what we find here is he's saying, look, these are things that need to be done. And what happens is, is when we enter into judgment of another believer, we may not be acting charitable. We may not be acting charitable. And yeah, it may affect us. It may affect us. But God has given us liberty. So what we don't do is we don't allow somebody to put a stumbling block in our life. As other believers were. And this is what he's getting at in in, in Colossians here. Here he's warning in these passages. And and again, if you hop over to 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He, he, he warns about things being offered unto idols. And this was a big issue. If you had a Gentile believer that was previously engaged in all sorts of pagan activity, and then all of a sudden you go to the market and you buy something from one of the vendors that was there and that happened to be offered unto some other god, Zeus or, or, or Janus or, or whoever else, you know, was there and, and you buy that and you're going, I don't care. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless it anyway. So it doesn't matter. I'm going to eat it. Well, if there's another believer that's there and they see that, that could actually cause them to stumble. So don't buy from that vendor. But they may have the cheaper price. Well, you're not estimating the spiritual cost. You're not looking at the other person. Now, again, the whole purpose behind what God's talking about here in, in Colossians is the impact that people can have on other believers. The actions and the words can have an impact on other believers. We have to be careful. Now look, he's not talking about things of doctrine. Okay? He's talking about things wherewith we have liberty. There are some things that we don't have liberty with. We don't have liberty to mess around with the doctrine of salvation. That's off limits. Salvation is salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. Don't mess with that doctrine. But what we're finding here is we're finding things with liberty. We can keep a holy day if we want to. If you want to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles, go ahead. But don't make it doctrine. You want to keep the Passover? Go ahead. Don't make a doctrine. Just as a kind of a teaser, and I'm just trying to gauge interest here. There was a, I got a phone call the other day, and, and it was this, you could tell it was this, she had a very kind of subtle New York accent in there, but also she was very diminutive in her voice, and, and it was this little Jewish lady and Jewish and ethnicity, if you will, uh, with this accent, uh, she was trying to schedule some meetings for her husband, and he's a saved Jew. His his father was a rabbi. His father now considers him dead because he accepted Christ. But he was he he goes around and he basically puts on a Passover, and has everything laid out, and you have to participate in the Passover. If you're going to come, you just can't sit idly by. No, you got to participate. I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. <laughs> like, that would be awesome to see. But, you know, it goes through all of the, the symbolism. As Paul said, it's a shadow of things to come. 
Those are things that were meant to represent something else. And he walks through all of that because he sees his Savior in all of the Jewish customs. He'll come out and he'll do a Passover. He'll do a Seder. He'll, I mean, he'll do all these things. And, and it's just like, oh, it's awesome. He's got this whole catalog. And I was just geeking out over it. I'm like, oh, this is neat. This is cool. You got to have him. I could have him here for like a whole month. And I'm like, that would be expensive. <laughs> but it just was like, oh, this is this is cool. This is interesting to see. And, and it would be an amazing thing for us to have him here and do all of that and, and see those things. But I'll tell you this. If somebody decides that they want to keep the Passover and that's what they want to do with their family, go ahead. That's fine. Now, again, if they start preaching that we must keep the Passover, that's not fine. That's a problem. Because what we have here in, in, in verse 8, or, or chapter 8 here of 1 Corinthians, is we have this, if you will, kind of a, a baseline of how we should be looking at things. And he says, look, you know, now in verse 1, now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we have, uh, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, again, he mentions charity here, and then he goes into the whole definition over there in chapter 13. But this becomes the theme. You know why there was so much division and so many problems in the church at Corinth? is because they couldn't figure out two things. They couldn't figure out charity, and they couldn't figure out edification. Paul educates them. Now, they had knowledge, and they knew, oh, I can eat anything that was offered unto an idol. Uh, n- not a problem. But what happened was is they became lifted up in their pride, and they would begin to browbeat others that were weaker, Christ- weaker Christians. That's wrong. That's wrong. Help them grow. Don't beat them down and pour, if you will, wheat, you know, weed or grass killer on them. And he says, you know, all of this, this is what we need to understand is, look, knowledge can puff up, and it does. You learn something, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm the big man on the block. No, 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 no. No, charity will help keep you off that big man on the block mentality. Why? Because it means you have to sacrifice something for someone else without any regards to what it's going to cost you. That's charity. That's charity. Now, when I'm talking about cost, I'm not talking about, you know, costing your family or, or you know, costing. I'm talking about that, that, that it, it's going to cost you your pride. <laughs> It's going to cost you some some humility. You're going to have to buy into that humility. Things that are spiritual. And as he goes through all of this, in verse 7, he says, Howbeit is not, is not in every man uh, that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. They're saying they still have that mentality of, I don't want to eat anything that's been offered under that idol. And if they do, they themselves are beginning to look at themselves as unclean. They look at themselves as they have sinned. They look at themselves as they now need to go to God in confession. Because they ate something. You realize that happens a lot today. We eat things offered unto idol. You ever go to a Chinese restaurant or an Asian restaurant? Sometimes they have it out there in the open and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's behind the counter and it's a small little... Buddha, or it's a small picture of a family member, and there's some food right in front of it and some incense sticks. You know what that is? They offered everything that was made today unto that person or unto that idol. 
It's an offering unto them asking the blessing. So when you're chowing down on your pad thai, that may have been offered unto Buddha. And all I'm going to say is, I'm not offended by it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to go to the place where I get my sassy pork and I will eat it. And it's good. It's actually, that's called, it's a dish. It's called sassy pork. Man, is it good. Oh, it's so good. But I'll tell you this. I go into that restaurant and right there in, I mean, and it's big. It's not a small Buddha. It's a big one. And there's food right in front of it and little incense sticks. You know what they did that morning? But you know what? I know that's nothing. I know that's nothing. Why? Because Jesus Christ spoiled all principalities and powers. So it's not a big deal to me. But if I take somebody that has come from Thailand and they walk in and they see that and they're like, I don't want to eat here. Then we're going to go into Burger King and they're getting a Whopper. (laughs) (laughs) Or Olive Garden. They're getting fettuccine Alfredo, whatever. I'm not going to cause them to stumble. Because as you go down in this, he says in verse 8, he says, But meat commendeth us not to God. It's not what you eat. It's what you do. That's the key thing. And he says, For neither if we eat, are we better? Neither if we eat not, are we worse? Verse 9, though. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So what does he say? He says all of this. He says in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul was willing to swear off every single meat and become a vegan. if it was going to cause somebody to stumble. Would you do that? Yeah. (laughs) We're like, no, I've got liberty, but I'll be a vegan in front of them. (laughs) I'll enjoy that nice cauliflower steak. Some people might enjoy that. Some people may say, oh, that's great. That's that's wonderful. But look, the the whole concept behind this is in going back over there to, to, to the book of Colossians. Let's go back over there. You know, the, the thing that we have to take a look at is, is, is this. Are, are we bringing other people back into bondage, as it says in Galatians chapter 4, in Galatians, actually, chapter 4, uh, verse 9, and Galatians 5, 1, he talks about when you start, you know, making these people do these things, you're actually bringing them back into bondage again, like they're under the bondage of sin. And God says, we have been given liberty. We're supposed to stand fast in that liberty, he says. Not go back into the bondage. So don't have anybody judge us in meat or drink. Because there was people coming into Colossae saying, oh, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. You don't celebrate that day. You need to celebrate that day. You're drinking what? Oh, you shouldn't do that. Now, again, I'm not talking about things that are scriptural and doctrinal. Okay? I'm talking about things wherewith we have liberty. There are some people that won't drink Dr. Pepper. At one point in time, oh, good night. This is how far this mentality goes. Back when I was younger, there was individuals that were running around saying we should not be drinking Dr. Pepper. 
And the reason is, is because Dr. Pepper in its formula used prune juice. And prune juice causes flatulence. And flatulence is unholy. Again, the mentality behind it. I'm sitting there thinking, you're honestly preaching this as doctrine? Do you have no concept about how God made the body? It's got to get out somehow. And I'm just like, oh. I'm like, we... So, so then we must write off, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be, you know, you know, funny here or anything, but I want you to see the mentality. Then we have to write off beans. We have to write off cabbage. Broccoli. All those things that may cause that to happen and occur. No wonder so many Christians that believe that stuff are uptight. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, it sounds funny, but I'm trying not to be funny here. But I just, the ridiculous nature of how people do these things. And I'm like, oh God, why? Where do you get that in scripture? You're like, what church did you go to? Trust me, if you've been saved for, 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 for about, no, what is it? It's been, oh man, it's been close to f- over 40 years now. Look, you're going to be exposed to some pretty weird stuff. Yeah. You're going to be exposed to some pretty weird stuff. But don't let that person have an influence on you. Don't let that false doctrine have an influence on you. Because as he says here in this passage, he says in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Well, look, if somebody wants to go worship uh, 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 and, and partake in the, one of the Sabbath days, go for it. Now, I like to, 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 to note here that he said Sabbath days. Amen. You know what that means? That means that when people jump on the Sabbath day, they're failing to account there was other Sabbaths. There's Sabbath years. People miss that entirely. That's why, and the reason why is because they don't understand what a Sabbath is. They don't understand the rest that's found in Christ. But here, if somebody wants to keep a Sabbath day, that's fine. Let them do it. Don't judge them. And if they ask you why you don't, you just simply say, and you could have an opportunity to show them some things from Scripture, but be careful. Just be careful. Don't become a stumbling block to somebody else. And what was happening at the church at Colossae is people were becoming stumbling blocks. And they were causing problems. And it was causing weak Christians, babes in Christ, to fall, to stumble, to walk away from the faith. That's why, above all, one thing that we should always do is, is do this. You have to take a look at your life and you have to ask these questions. First and foremost, are we growing in Christ? Are we growing? And if we are growing in Christ, we need to understand this. Are we engaging and were we in activities? And are we speaking things that grow the body? Not our body, but the body of Christ. Remember, he said you're supposed to excel at edification. That doesn't mean you're happy with a C average. It means you're seeking that A plus. 
And we all know that if you want the A+, you've got to put effort in to study and get it. And if he says, says you need to excel at edification then in the church, then that's what we need to be seeking to do. And we need to make sure everything that we say does that. Ephesians chapter 4, the last part of it, the last half, where he's talking about, you know, people get, basically people grieve the Holy Spirit by what they say. Things need to be spoken in truth, you know, the truth needs to be spoken in love. We have to show that we care. Not just be flippant about it. We have to demonstrate that. So you know what this means? This means that we, as believers, should should have this consideration. Are we considerate? Do I look at my actions and judge my actions and say, how is this going to affect another believer in Christ? What I'm about to say, what influence and impact is that going to have in their life? If I do this, what is going to be, if you will, the impact it's going to have on somebody else? We have to be very, very, very careful about how we do things. Yeah, we may have liberty, but let's make sure we're not using it to trip somebody up. Have somebody fall. We have to be very careful. Next week, we'll get into the fourth warning. Talk about it a little bit more where, again, it's let no man beguile. And that's a very important thing for us as believers to understand. But let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you give to us in your word, the liberty that we have. But Lord, above all, this directive that we as believers should be seeking to make sure we're not causing anyone else to stumble. That we analyze and judge our actions before we do them. That we look at our words and we consider our words before what we say to make sure that we're not causing anyone else to fall. And Lord, I just pray that we would have that mentality that we would not be influenced or affected by others. But Lord, you would be the one that has the preeminence in the influence and affection of our hearts. Pray, Lord, you just continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. This I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.